0: My name is Gage.
1: And my name is Ray. And you are listening to Gore Report,
0: a true crime podcast. Yeah. 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 That was so official. We are so official. Not really. (laughs) If this is your first time tuning in with us, well, hey, hi, hello.
1: And welcome. Welcome.
0: If you like what you hear from me and Ray, we would greatly appreciate if you left us a good review or a good rating. That kind of thing helps support the show in a big way. And for the hundredth time, we appreciate it.
1: Only if you think we deserve it.
0: Only if you think we deserve it. It it wouldn't be right any other way. (laughs) And to our new listeners and returning listeners alike, welcome, welcome. We hope you're having a good day and a good week and And a a good good night. Uh, we're just gonna keep getting more extra and more extra with it and honestly probably i'm just here for it (laughs) again i am all for the dumbassery it's just it is what it is but we are always wishing you the best no matter where you are for sure
1: well i do have one quick thing to bring up well we have a couple quick things to bring up actually right quick
0: look at us having something to talk about even if it's not really important it's it's something to talk about
1: (laughs) So we got an email from Stitcher today, and if you are listening to us on Stitcher, we are very sad to say that the Stitcher app, the website, including their Stitcher premium service, will end operations on August 29th, so we will no longer be available on Stitcher. So you might want to check us out on other platforms. All of our socials are at the end, as usual.
0: Yes, and if I remember correctly, too, I think they said in that email that they were going to be switching everything to Pandora. Yes. So, yeah, if you are listening on Stitcher, then, you know, maybe transfer to Pandora would be the right thing to do. But we just wanted to throw that in there.
1: And, of course, we want to thank everybody that has donated to us this month. We really, really appreciate it. We don't ever talk about the people who actually donate their hard-earned money to us.
0: We don't have a lot, but the few we have, you are much appreciated, and it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculously amazing. <laughs> it's and very we, appreciated. All yes, of you are appreciated, and we
1: love you all so very much. But only if you consent to it, because consent is important. important and we will never stop reminding you
0: (laughs) (laughs) full swing on the goblin energy
1: i'm telling you
0: (laughs) so one more thing that we want to bring up um it's not really all that important but it is something to say if you hear like an echo like a slight echo today um like with our sound quality we are so terribly sorry we are not recording in our usual environment today uh, me and Ray actually decided to take a two-day best friendcation, and yes. we just got a hotel room so we could research and hang out. So the acoustics in this room is kind of not on our side. <laughs> but we've
1: tried literally everything. We were even birdboxing it. I was like, let's put a sheet over us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we were totally birdboxing it. But we've tried everything. Unfortunately, there may still be a slight echo. So if you hear that, we are so terribly sorry. Hopefully, it won't affect the quality too much. But you know, we overexplain ourselves because of anxiety. So hello, yes. well, we just wanted to tell you. So,
1: so I found some extra time this week to work on my crochet project a little bit. Mm-hmm. It was very short-lived. We'll put it that way. <laughs> Things have been so busy with the house, and it's like. We're trying to renovate the house. We're trying to, you know, we're living in a travel trailer right now.
0: Right. With it's a been a porta
1: potty. Right. It's like, been a rough transition. It's been a very rough transition. And um so to de-stress a little bit since I was having issues with my research, I was like, you know what? I'm going to crochet for a minute and try not to lose my shit. <laughs> because i was so i was very quickly running out of time as you know yes <laughs> very quickly running out of
0: time so, oh man.
1: So, if you don't know, usually when I'm crocheting, I'm watching or listening to true crime YouTube videos that either you guys request or, you know, I just have it playing in the background.
0: Right, right.
1: Because, I mean, this is our job. <laughs> <laughs> so, I spend a lot of time watching true crime videos on YouTube. And uh, I'm crocheting and I'm watching this video. And, bitch, when I tell you my jaw, hit the fucking floor and got stuck
0: there. <laughs> oh, no.
1: I was like mindlessly listening to it. My hands were busy. And then they said something in the video and I was like, wait, 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 what? So I rewound the whole video and watched it all over again.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: So today I want to talk about Shasta Groney. If you're unfamiliar with this case, prepare yourself because this case was an emotional roller coaster for me. Shasta was eight years old when her entire family was murdered by a 42 year old serial killer named Joseph Duncan.
0: Jesus.
1: She was abducted by him and went missing for seven weeks while the whole nation was looking for her. Oh my God. In a huge twist, she not only survived, But she had an amazing ability of controlling her captor. According to Sergeant Brad Maskell, she was the one responsible for orchestrating her own rescue.
0: So I'm... The most not excited form of excited that I could possibly be because that sounds fucking crazy that she was eight years old and this horrible, horrible thing happened to her. But she somehow was able to like get herself out of it. Like that's that's incredible. And I don't know anything about this case. I know nothing about it. Like not the first thing. So I'm I'm going in blind completely.
1: It floored me.
0: My absolutely God. floored
1: me. But before we get into the sauce. I do want to emphasize that today's episode is mainly about Shasta's story, but unfortunately there's not like a lot of information on her like there is for Duncan. And I feel to completely tell the story so we fully understand what happened, to give all of his victims their voices back and give them the respect they deserve, I should also include the backstory of who we're talking about here. So it's gonna seem like I'm like this is a Joseph Duncan story, but it's not. It's a Shasta Grony story.
0: Right. You just feel like the information is needed, which I can agree with you. Right. I mean, that's part of it. Might not be the best the best thing, but it's a part of it nonetheless. Oh, here we go. No. No.
1: Everyone, prepare thine asses.
0: Prepare thine asses. <laughs> <laughs> oh no!
1: Joseph Edward Duncan was born on February 25th, 1963, in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I used to live there.
0: You did. (laughs) I
1: did. He was a military brat, and with his dad being in the Army, he and his four siblings moved around frequently. Having the difficulty of a rootless childhood, his family did eventually settle in Tacoma, Washington, where he was raised during his teenage years. We talk about nature versus nurture a lot on this show, and in researching this case, I have found no indication that he was abused or mistreated in his upbringing. He's really just a piece of shit. He is not a good guy. (laughs) Oh, my God, man. In 1978, at the age of 15, he was arrested for raping an unidentified nine-year-old boy at gunpoint. Oh, he was 15? He was 15. Oh, my God. The next year, he was arrested for driving a stolen car. He was charged as a juvenile and was sentenced to spend time at the Disland's Boys Ranch, where he was supposed to hold meetings with a therapist, but I couldn't find anything regarding any comments, no diagnoses, no nothing.
0: Wow, okay.
1: So the only other major event that happened while he was away at this ranch, his parents divorced. And after a few months, when he was released, Duncan ended up stealing several guns from a neighbor back in, like, 1980. He would then go on to abduct, rape, torture, and sodomize a 14-year-old boy at gunpoint.
0: Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. He's so young.
1: Insanely young.
0: I mean, it wouldn't matter how old you were. That is fucking horrible. But he is so young doing, doing shit like that. Right. That is, Jesus Christ, my stomach, my stomach. I don't know
1: why, but like Sharon Carr just jumped into my head for a minute. I was like, "Mm." oh,
0: God, oh, God, let's not revisit her. Jesus, (laughs) Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.
1: So he was caught, arrested, and sentenced to 20 years in prison where he would spend most of his adult life. One source says after he was arrested in 1980, he told doctors that he raped as many as 13 boys before he was the age of 17
0: that is so insane like i don't even know what to say to that that is oh my god my but, god my god
1: he later recanted that saying he made it all up so he could stay out of prison and get into a sex offender program at western state hospital but he was imprisoned anyway so fuck you guys oh <laughs> <laughs> right
0: that's what i mean that doesn't make sense to me but
1: He was paroled in 1994 under the condition that he would not engage in any interaction whatsoever with minors. But as you can guess, he was returned to prison in 1997 for violating the terms of his parole.
0: Uh, Of course he was.
1: Big surprise there. During that time, he smoked marijuana, handled a gun in violation of his parole, became sexually involved with his male community sponsor, and had a relationship with a married woman who was, quote, helping him explore his feminine side by helping him with transsexual fantasies, end quote. That same woman had two young children that were frequently left alone with Duncan.
0: Oh, my God, man.
1: So, Whew. that's why he was put back in. And with all of that, he still got out. Like, I, I just fucking can't.
0: I don't understand it. And we touch on the theme all the time. Like, what the fuck is up with this justice system, man? Like, what is up with it? Like,
1: once he went back in, he should have never gotten out. His actions should have been enough for them to go, hmm, he's not going to rehabilitate and keep his ass in fucking prison.
0: I mean, that's what I'm saying,
1: my God. Like, sorry for the tangent, but fuck, make it make sense. Please. In 1999, a year before Duncan was to finish his 20-year prison sentence, a risk assessment was performed by a state psychologist who found that 9 out of 10 offenders like Duncan would reoffend within 6 years. And that would be shockingly true with what he does next.
0: Oh my god, man. My stomach is in knots, man.
1: Just outside of Coeur d'Alene in Wolf Lodge Bay, Idaho, Shasta lived with her mother, 40-year-old Brenda Groney, Brenda's boyfriend, 37-year-old Mark McKenzie, and her older brothers, 13-year-old Slade Groney and 9-year-old Dylan Groney. Brenda had divorced Shasta's father when she was just two years old. They didn't have a lot of money, but they were very happy and grateful people. Like Shasta would talk about how her mom loved music and they would dance around the living room and... Brenda loved to cook and having dinner ready for like the whole family, that was what she loved to do was cater to her family. Shasta would often help her mom cook a lot and they had many good memories together. Brenda loved her children dearly and spent regular time with her family. Shasta and Dylan were inseparable. They'd often spend time with each other And they'd go on many adventures. Like, they'd go camping and fishing and they'd go play outside with each other. Slade was the type of kid who was friends with everybody that got picked on. He was a very sweet boy. He was super popular and smart and intelligent and very outgoing. Like, he was just a great kid. He could make friends with anyone.
0: That is so sweet. So this
1: entire family was close-knit and loving, but little did they know Joseph Duncan would drive through their neighborhood where he would watch the kids play out in the yard, calculating what he considered to be the perfect crime.
0: Jesus fucking Christ, Like the
1: documentary said that he would drive around neighborhoods and mark on his GPS in the car certain houses that had kids, what like, yeah. the
0: fuck, dude? He's a
1: level three sex offender.
0: My fucking God. This is so disgusting. Like, I honestly don't even... I don't even want to go any further. I don't want to go. Episode's over if you want to follow us on our socials. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: He cased their house for days, even taking the time to give treats to their pit bull. So when he returned, there would be no obstacles.
0: That level of calculation... And planning is just fucking chilling. Like, it's absolutely chilling.
1: The night of May 15th, 2005, Shasta was in bed and she woke up and thought she saw someone in her bedroom closet. So she called out for Dylan and being the awesome big brother that he was, he crawled into bed with her so she wouldn't be afraid and they fell back asleep.
0: Oh my god, I'm going to fucking cry. Like, I'm literally going to cry.
1: Hours later, her mother shook them awake. Shasta said, my mother was crying, and she said, Sissy, you need to wake up. Someone's in the house. (sighs) I know.
0: Fuck, fuck.
1: Shasta and Dylan went into the living room where they saw Mark and Slade tied up, lying face down on the floor with their mouths duct taped and zip ties around their wrists. At first, she thought the man was a police officer. She saw a man wearing all black and night vision goggles standing over them with a shotgun. The guy commands Brenda to get on the ground and panic begins to set in for Shasta when she noticed he was using zip ties and duct tape. This is how she knew something was like terribly fucking wrong. This was not a police officer. After tying up Brenda, he took the time to also tie up Dylan and Shasta and carried them outside to the backyard setting them under a tree, side by side, and then he goes back into the house.
0: What in the fuck?
1: So Duncan returns to the living room where he began to brutally beat Brenda, Mark, and Slade to death with a hammer, one by one.
0: Oh my god.
1: Shasta says she could hear Mark saying they didn't have any money, and then she would hear, like, a loud thumping sound, grunts of pain, and screaming. From outside.
0: Oh, my God. Have, I, my jaw is on the fucking right. floor.
1: Like, they have no clue what's going on. They're scared. Some strange man has tied them up and set them down outside. And now they're hearing a bunch of shit from inside the house. Like, my God. Slade comes out of the door, gravely injured but alive, trying to escape. Duncan runs over and begins beating him again. And by the time he finishes, Slade is barely hanging on to life. Shasta recalled later on that Slade was sitting on a picnic table. I'm guessing he ended up on the picnic table, like from the beating. And she said that she saw him sitting there on the picnic table. And then she just saw him like lay back.
0: Oh my God. Uh...
1: Before he died, Slade somehow found the strength to crawl back in the house to be with his mom. He died next to her. Duncan loaded Shasta and Dylan into his car, and these poor babies watched as Duncan drove away from everything they knew and loved. They had no clue if their family was alive or not. He drives them over 100 miles away near St. Regis, Montana, to a remote campsite in the Lolo National Forest. Shasta and Dylan are now stuck in the middle of nowhere with a murderer and sex offender, and they only have each other. It's here that he tells these poor babies what he did. He holds the hammer up and says, quote, You see this hammer? This is the hammer I murdered your mom, your stepdad, and your brother with. They're not alive, and you're never going to see them again.
0: What a fucking piece of shit. Like, I honestly have no words for this. I'm on the verge of tears. I'm quite literally on the verge of tears. My God, this is next level evil.
1: The next piece of audio that I have for you is 911 audio from their neighbor. And I'm going to play that for you now.
0: I went to the door to pay the little kid $10 for mowing the lawn and there's blood all over the door. Ow. Nobody comes through the door. Jesus Fucking Christ. Yeah. The blood
1: that he saw all over the door, I'm pretty sure was when Slade went to go come outside.
0: Jesus, Jesus, Jesus.
1: The next day, a neighbor came to the Grony family home with the intention of paying Slade money for cutting his grass. But once he saw the blood on the front door and no one was answering his knocks, that's when he called 911, which was that audio clip.
0: Gotcha, gotcha.
1: The Kootenai County authorities responded and was taken back by the scene. This was the worst case this town had ever seen, and to this day, people still talk about it. And this murder absolutely shattered any sense of security this town had. Because kidnappings are commonly carried out by family members, the police reached out to Steve Groney. Now... Steve admitted to getting into a fight with Brenda. He admitted to the police that just a few days before Brenda died, they had gotten into a fight about the custody of the kids. So they were suspicious of him, of course. Right. But then their father goes on TV begging for their safe return. And he says something during this that made a lot of people suspect him. Anyway, I'm going to play that audio clip for you now.
0: Like to address... My children's abductors or abductor, please, please release my children safely. They had nothing to do with any of this. All righty then. Right. I mean, obviously we know at this point in the story that it's not him that did this. Right. But I can easily see where people would hear that and be suspicious because it's like they had nothing to do with any of this. Any of what? Right. Right. So, I mean, I I can see how how that was probably taken not so well, for sure.
1: Yeah, so they began to suspect that he might know something. And they give him a polygraph, which, as we all know, it's not really effective. But when they ask him if he knows where the children are, he fails the test because of a fluctuation during that specific question. Since none of the valuables in the home were disturbed... Accompanied by the fact that the bodies were so badly beaten and mangled, this crime seemed very personal, like a crime of passion. Right. And their suspicions of him were just exponentially growing. However, he was at home at the time of the murders, and that was verified by forensics. Besides, Steve seems like a biker kind of guy. Right. You know? Um, it's quite possible that he believes something had come back to bite him from his past, and I'm just speculating, like, I mean, absolutely no disrespect, but I, I found it interesting,
0: right? Right? Um,
1: but my god, as a parent, like, I couldn't even begin to imagine the fear of getting that phone call, like, the sleepless nights, the breakdowns. This poor man probably can't even think straight because everything he knew as a permanent in his life is
0: gone. Right. I I couldn't imagine that either.
1: So, of course, his mind's going to go in 50 million directions like they don't have anything to do with any of this,
0: you know? Right. Which I see that side, too.
1: Now, Duncan doesn't give Shasta and Dylan any time to grieve their family. He immediately begins to physically and sexually assault them in the woods and in a nearby cabin. Shasta said that he was cruel toward Dylan and he'd take out his anger on Dylan more than he would her. But he would make her watch him abuse Dylan. And if she cried, he would abuse him worse.
0: Oh my fucking god. This man is a goddamn monster.
1: Duncan then begins to play mind games with them, telling them they'll be able to go home when he's done with them if they do what he asks. He even has them write letters home to their family, basically saying that they might get to come back home. And one of the letters read, quote, Dear Dad, I miss you very much. And me and Dylan know what happened to Mom, Mark and Slade. And we both feel very sorry for them. And we both miss you, Jesse and Vance. And we might see you guys again,
0: end quote. And was that written by Shasta?
1: Yeah, I- I've included a picture.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Um, Jesse and Vance are siblings as well. They're just, like, from the dad's side of the family, from what I understand. Gotcha, Jesse gotcha. was incarcerated, and I believe is Vance. He was um, standing behind his father on the TV interview, holding his shoulders for, like, support. Gotcha, gotcha. So, <laughs> these letters, he had them write, were never sent. He had no intention of letting them go. He was manipulating them into thinking they could one day return home. And Dylan began to lose hope, believing that things weren't going to end well for him. Shasta does everything she can to keep him fighting, promising him that they would make it out together and alive. So they continued to lean on each other, trying to make it through the trauma. But Duncan's abuse gets worse and he begins to force drugs and alcohol on them.
0: Jesus Christ, they're babies. They
1: are. They're babies. Eight and nine years old.
0: Oh my God, man. Fuck.
1: Wanting to use this opportunity while they were intoxicated to tell the kids of all the horrible things he had done to other children. Believing that the kids were intoxicated and he's just telling them all of this shit. But Shasta ended up remembering every detail
0: bless her heart i could not imagine the weight of any of this i could not imagine it
1: duncan describes the assaults and murders of two girls in seattle they were 11 year old sammy joe white and nine-year-old carmen cubius they vanished july 6 1996 after leaving the crest motel in seattle washington to go to a place called taco time and the girls were living at the motel with their mother and siblings their bodies were found February 10th, 1998 in Bothell, Washington, which was 22 miles away.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Next, he described the murder of 10-year-old Anthony Michael Martinez in Beaumont. I believe I'm saying that right. Beaumont, uh, Riverside County, California, on April 4th, 1997. Anthony was playing with his friends in his front yard when this strange man walks up to the group asking for help to find a missing cat. Like um how about no okay thanks
0: i'm just fucking taken no. I'm, I'm so taken back
1: i am too i've been taken back the entire time researching this case i have been i'm sorry for the side note here but like i have been a mental fucking wreck <laughs> <laughs> i have not, i have not been okay i have not been okay
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, we, we needed a, a small laugh break. So, I mean, we needed something. Goddamn.
1: So when the boys refused, Duncan grabbed Anthony up at knife point and threw him into his vehicle. His body was found two weeks later, nude and partially decomposed. And with both of those cases going cold, Duncan believed he had gotten away with it, not taking into account the eight-year-old girl he's trying to scare, remembering every detail that came out of his mouth. And during all of this, Shasta comes up with a plan and she begins to act like Duncan's friend instead of a victim. Shasta told Fox News, quote, I honestly have no idea what gave me strength or hope, but there was something inside of me that was pushing me to say or do certain things to be on Joseph Duncan's good side and earn his trust, end quote.
0: Chills. Literal fucking chills. Like she's eight years old. Right. And the way that she's processing this situation like to survive, like I'll go ahead and say I'm 27 years old for, you know, goddess forbid that I'm ever in a situation like this. Oh, my fucking God. I hope not. I don't think I would have known as an adult to handle that situation that way. Right. And I'm 19 years older than she is. Mm -hmm. And that is just absolutely. I mean, it's mind blowing. It is absolutely mind blowing. Like my. I've said it like four times. I don't feel like I have a lot of feedback right now, but I'm just, my jaw's on the floor. Bitch, my wig has been snatched. (laughs) I'm scalped.
1: Snatched. (laughs)
0: Jesus.
1: She began to ask him questions about his life, his family, and even asked if she could meet them one day. And, you know, really trying to get his trust and get him to be comfortable with her and believe he could trust her. I mean, it begins to work, and he eventually begins to treat Shasta and Dylan nicer. And Shasta tells Dylan she's going to get them out of there. But a month into their capture, things take a drastic turn. Duncan tells the kids that if they can catch a squirrel, he will take them home.
0: Oh my fucking God, my stomach.
1: Dylan actually (sighs) manages to catch one.
0: He caught one. He
1: fucking caught one.
0: <laughs> oh my god. He
1: actually managed to catch one. Like, you know, 9 years old chasing a fucking squirrel.
0: I could imagine that's not an easy task. <gasps> my fat ass couldn't do it. Oh, I'm telling you. you what. <laughs> I'm hollering, you better quit it. Oh my god, I'm screaming.
1: So, you know, naturally the kids, they get excited because they're thinking this nightmare is finally over. Shasta had just hugged Dylan and when they pulled away, they were holding hands. She hears a loud bang, and then another one, and Dylan's hand falls from hers. Duncan shot Dylan with the shotgun twice right in front of her. (sighs) Playing his mind games, he came up to Shasta crying, saying he didn't mean to shoot him the first time, but the second time he did it so Dylan wouldn't feel any pain.
0: Get the fuck out of here with that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. This sick fuck makes her
1: help move her brother's dead body onto a tarp. And then he proceeds to burn Dylan's body.
0: I am not even going to lie. I am slick teetering. I'm on that seesaw teetering having a complete fucking panic attack. Right.
1: Shasta later recalls that she was confused. And sad and frozen, she couldn't speak for days, for, like, weeks from what she said. I think she said it was, like, a week.
0: But... My God. I just... I don't even know what to do with any of this. I...
1: (sighs) Duncan moves Shasta to another camping site. Now that he's given away their position. And he chains Shasta up and moves her to a lower spot on the mountain... Keeping her inside of a tent chained up. And she happens to see like a group of people walking by. And she was desperate to get away. But Duncan continued to threaten her so she couldn't say anything. She had to sit there and watch these people walk by.
0: Oh my God.
1: Duncan decides that he needs her gone. And he gives her a choice. He says she can choose to be strangled or to be shot like her brother and getting shot is quicker. I hate him. I'm so angry.
0: I, my brain is seizuring just a little bit. I honestly don't know how to process this. Like she's eight fucking years old. Yeah. I could not imagine as a, as an adult being put through any of this, but to be a child, a literal baby, like, you barely have a grasp on the world around you in, in this to go through something like this? Like, I have no words. No I genuinely don't have any. Should,
1: no child whatsoever
0: should I have to go no, through No, no human should ever go through this, well, but mean, especially yeah. not a child. You know what I mean. Especially not children. Like, my God.
1: Shasta thinks if she chooses strangulation, she can talk him out of it.
0: Jesus fucking Christ.
1: He puts a rope around her neck and begins to pull. Shasta said she almost gave up. She had lost everything. But as she begins to slip away, she saw her mom heard her voice and saw nothing but white.
0: Oh my God, bitch. But she
1: came back. And I truly believe her mom came to her and gave her like just enough breath to speak. Because Shasta works up just enough breath to say, please don't Jet, which was Duncan's nickname. She noticed that whenever she would call him Jet, she said that it would like soften him a bit, like he wouldn't be so aggressive. And losing precious seconds, she hoped to manipulate him into letting her go. His emotional attachment to her kicks in and he begins to cry, saying, I can't do this. And he lets her go. She asked him to live just a little bit longer, even still trying to build the trust with him when he just tried to kill her. That is just... Oh my God. <sighs> After this event, anytime he brought up her going home, she would say no and tell him that she wanted to stay there with him. Like, fuck. she... God,
0: I am right there with you. Like I'm like, <gasps> I, I have almost detached completely. At this point, <laughs> because if I don't, I'm going to have an anxiety attack. And I know that's kind of like part of our show. You know, we we cover stories like this and, and they're not pretty and it's real and it's horrible. And I just I don't know how to process this. Like, this is one of the most violent and cruel and ridiculous fucking cases I've ever heard about in my life. And the fact that it, it happened to an eight year old. Yeah. Yeah. Like, my God, And that is why
1: I picked today's case. No.
0: (laughs) Jesus. But
1: but Shasta, she, she started to talk about herself with him, telling him details like how much she loved and missed school. She explained by saying, quote, that made him feel good because he felt that I trusted him. He felt that he was learning about my life, getting to know a vulnerable part of me. I was just trying to manipulate him,
0: end quote. Again, eight years old. Eight years old. I have no words.
1: It's now July 2nd, 2005, seven weeks in captivity. And Duncan sits down with Shasta and he's asking her, do you want to be my daughter? and like she she was like agreeing to call him dad and they were talking about going to North Dakota to go meet his mom. <sighs> Shit is wild. And this is Shasta in her own words. And I'm gonna play this clip for you now. He basically sat me down and asked if I would be his kid and I would stay with him, you know, that I would call him dad. He's like, I wanna take you to meet my mom. Would you meet her? And I had said, yes.
0: I know this episode is probably the least exciting in terms of my feedback because I genuinely don't know what to say. I'm still very much processing all of this, but, Mm -hmm. like, I have no words. Like, I am thoroughly wigged, thoroughly scouted, asshole (laughs) completely missing. (laughs) It's been missing, like, way before this point it's been missing. Like, I just, I don't know what to fucking do. I don't know what to do.
1: (laughs) Now you understand All of the stress that went into this episode.
0: (laughs) Like, I, my goodness, my goodness.
1: So she talks to him and asks him if she can take him to where she grew up. She said she wanted to show him where she went to school and where her best friend lives, things like that. She also told him that she wants to show him places that are important to her. Because he's important to her and he agrees. So Shasta has to be very careful at this point because she's manipulating him into taking her right back where it all began.
0: Right, right.
1: And this whole town is already looking for her, but she don't know that. But she's hoping that this
0: is her ticket out if she can just get back home, basically. Yeah. Oh, my God. So she
1: has Duncan drive her right back and even stopping at a convenience store. She's seen on camera and her and Duncan look like just a typical father and a daughter stopping at a store. But Shasta has her arms crossed tightly over her chest praying somebody notices her and they did but a little too late. The manager was reviewing CCTV footage and recognized her. So he called the police to tip them off. Unfortunately, this didn't happen until they'd already left.
0: So they were long gone, pretty much.
1: Duncan eventually decided to take the two of them to Denny's so they could eat. And as they're walking into Denny's, the first thing Shasta sees is her missing persons poster.
0: Holy shit. She walks into this restaurant, this Denny's, and the first thing she sees is her own missing persons poster. Yeah. I cannot imagine I like I oh,
1: fuck. no one ever sees their missing person's photos if you think about it like
0: I just that is that is breaking the fourth wall in the most fucked up way possible right. to me like I just I just cannot imagine what this child has been through and the weight that she carries with her i I I cannot imagine I am thoroughly stressed the fuck out
1: So when they arrived at the restaurant before they walked in the door, she said that she made eye contact with a man standing out front with his friends. Quote, he looked at me and I nodded my head. He nodded back and I can tell from his eyes that he knew who I was. End quote.
0: Jesus. Chills. I am getting crazy chills. Crazy.
1: The man played it cool and walked up to the waitress working on the counter and he was just making it seem like he was conversing with her.
0: Right, right.
1: This was the initial first alert. Nobody wanted to fuck up and act out to spook him, but this started a chain reaction. The following is a clip from Amber Dean, and she was the waitress who waited at their table and recognized Shasta. This is what she had to say. They were my only table at the time, and I immediately. Recognized her. His entire world revolved around her. She didn't speak without his permission. There was something just not okay. I'd spoken to my manager, said, you know, I think we should probably call Coraline PD. I'm pretty positive that's, that's Shasta Bruni over there. I'll pay for their meal if I'm wrong. We need to get somebody up here. Shasta can tell they recognize her, but she doesn't think she'll make it. She was worried that Duncan would just come up with some excuse and they'd end up leaving behind the hope of freedom. Duncan is ready to leave, but Amber pretends like she's having problems printing the check to stall them. Like smart shit.
0: Oh my god, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the roller coaster this shit is taking me on.
1: Members of the Denny's team positioned themselves so they were close to all exits, playing it cool and pretending to work. So if he tries to leave with this little girl, like, they can stop him. Like, right. that is that is some community coming together type shit that I love to see. Right. We need more of that. <laughs> right.
0: More, more of that for sure.
1: After a cop arrived, he questioned Shasta, who lied at first, and told the officer her name was Katie. But she looks at Duncan as kind of a permission to say her name. Like, this man has literally killed her entire family. And she's just looking up at him, and in a weird twist, he tells her, it's okay, you can tell him. What? Yep. What in the hell? What in the hell? The cop then grabbed Joseph Duncan and handcuffed him immediately, and the entire room, everyone in the room, started clapping.
0: Oh, my God.
1: People recognized her, they knew she was missing, and Shasta said it was like they all played their part in her rescue. Police investigated the car Duncan was driving, and he basically rented the car and never returned it.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. So that's how
1: he had the vehicle. Gotcha. The car was stolen. They found the shotgun he used to murder Dylan, along with video equipment and recordings of Shasta and Dylan while in captivity. Those who watched the videos would see the shockingly cruel abuse and agree that this piece of evidence alone is the most disturbing thing they'd ever seen. Duncan refused to talk, so Shasta had to explain everything to the police, the whole story.
0: As in, as a child? As
1: a child. He was not going to give them a confession, so she had to tell them everything, including what happened to her brother.
0: Jesus fucking Christ.
1: Dylan's remains were found days later. During Duncan's incarceration, authorities connected him with the long unsolved murders of Anthony Martinez in California and Sammy Joe White and Carmen Cubias in Seattle. Of those murders, Duncan has only been charged in the California case. Altogether, however, He has been convicted in the state of Idaho for kidnapping and murdering Mark, Brenda, and Slade, for which he was given six life sentences. And in federal court, he was charged with 10 federal charges for kidnapping and abusing Shasta and Dylan, and murdering Dylan, for which he was given three death sentences. In the state of California for kidnapping and murdering Anthony Martinez, he was scheduled to be given another life sentence. So put his ass under the jail.
0: Like we said in Joe Clark, under the jail, sweep the rug.
1: Sweep the fucking rug. Get it it out. get it all out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What in the South Park? October sixteenth,
1: two 2006, Joseph Duncan pleads guilty, and he is sent to a federal prison. I tried to get the name of this federal prison. It is out there. I'm very sorry. I couldn't find it. (laughs) Not like we needed to know anyway, but... Duncan died in 2021 of brain cancer while serving multiple life sentences on federal death row. And I hope that it was painful.
0: And horrible.
1: And horrible.
0: As awful as it fucking can be.
1: Shasta had difficulty returning to a safe environment, including intense survivor's guilt. She said, quote, I promised my brother that I would make sure that we got out alive. I carried so much guilt because he didn't live and I did. I felt like it should have been the other way around. End
0: quote. Jesus, poor, poor girl.
1: Today, Shasta Groney is a married woman who shares her home with her devoted husband, Michael. He is regarded as a loyal and caring partner. And this took me by surprise. I know last night when I was like, what? But I couldn't tell you what it was. Right. Um, he is related to Sammy Joe White and Carmen Kubias.
0: You're fucking kidding. I am not. What are the chances? I know, what are the yeah. chances?
1: I I'm wondering if they maybe met like through you know having to go to court and you know seeing them each other seeing each other in passing or you know.
0: My God! But, still, yeah,
1: that really took me by surprise. Um, Shasta and Michael have five children, and she works as a supervising housekeeper at a nearby hotel. And when she's not doing that, she's spending time with their babies. And if all this wasn't tear jerking enough. The officers and investigators that worked her case introduced her to their kids. Not to mention, she stays in contact with the man she made eye contact with in the Denny's parking lot. Shasta said they allowed her to be a kid again when she needed it the most. And she said they made things much easier for her growing
0: up. Oh, my heart.
1: So I end today with a quote from Shasta Grony Quote, You're not your past. Every day is a new chapter, end quote. And that concludes the case of Shasta Groney.
0: And you're done. (laughs) Ah. You're done. You're done, you're done, you're done.
1: (laughs) I'm sorry, guys.
0: I was scalped.
1: Scalped, yeah.
0: Scalped. Like, my God. God, that was one of the most heaviest, most ridiculously disturbing stories.
1: And in a very short amount of time. I'm very, very sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. But, you know, on a real note, because I don't have a lot of feedback in terms of what happened to Shasta. I cannot imagine. I am still very much processing it. I am reeling with anxiety from this episode. So I don't have a lot of feedback on that. I'm glad that Duncan is dead. But mainly my feedback goes to Shasta. And that feedback being that I could not, and I said this earlier, I could not imagine the the pain and the agony and the burden that that poor girl carries with her. I could not imagine any of it, but to hear that she's grown up and she stays in contact with the people that helped her and she has a family of her own and a partner that loves and takes care of her as she deserves and she's spending time with her babies. I sincerely hope all of the healing, all of the positivity, all of the absolute best things for Shasta. And I just that's that's about all I can say. My heart goes out to every single person that has been affected by this, because, you know, at the end of the day, these aren't scary stories that we tell. I mean, yeah, they're scary stories, but they're not just that they're real. Like these things really happened. They really affect people. I mean, it's horrible, and, and you have to look at that. So that that's pretty much the end of what I have to say. I just, my heart goes out completely to Shasta, and I just wish all of the happiness for her and her family. She deserves nothing less.
1: I mean, my ending notes on this is basically, I mean, she did not get through the healing process easy at all.
0: I don't know how um, you could. Healing is not an easy process in itself, you know?
1: You know, she um, she did end up getting in trouble with substance abuse. She had some legal issues with that and some eating disorders as well. Um,
0: Bless her heart. But I hate I, that.
1: I chose not to highlight that in the episode because that's not who she is. And you and I both know that when you go through something that fucking traumatic especially over a prolonged period of time it is hell after the trauma it is hell right. after the trauma because you have to pick up the pieces and learn how to be a person again because they've literally just shattered everything that you've ever known you know right. so right. um you know my heart goes out to Shasta and her family and i felt this this story needed to be told and i i hate the fact that I was met with obstacles trying to get all the information, but that's where we're at.
0: Right. Well, I think you did the damn thing still. the damn thing (laughs) has been done. done. It's been done. So I think it's safe to say we can wrap up today. My goodness, I think we are all stressed out. So to you listening, if you would like to follow me and Ray and all of our
1: weird...
0: Well, good news, you can totally do that. You can find us on Facebook at Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram. at Gore Report Podcast. And Twitter. And Gore Report. Also, don't forget our email, goreportpod at gmail.com. Send us an email if you like. You don't have to, but you totally can. And, uh, yeah, I really don't have a whole lot to say about this. I'm pretty stressed the fuck out. I've been teetering a panic attack for the past 30 minutes, so, uh, I think we should go get a bottle of water. Sounds lit. Something, anything to ease this pain, I can't take it anymore. I I just can't. I'm fucking (laughs) glad. I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad Duncan is dead. And until next time, bye. bye!